0: Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Friends and Experts podcast, where we have conversations with some of my friends who happen to be experts and some experts who happen to be my friends. Our next guest is Dr. Teresa Cabalga. She is an associate professor in the Department of English and an affiliate of the American Studies Program and the Women's Gender and sexuality studies program. She has written many books, memoirs. She's been involved in documentary films and creative non-writing fiction. Dr. Cabalga, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, happy to be here.
0: Full disclosure, I wanted to classify you as a friend and an mm-hmm. expert. So I think that uh, the having to, the dual designation is yes. the first for my program in the young three episodes that I have already. So uh, again, welcome to the show and I'm glad to have you on. I want to just kind of touch upon who you are. I know I just gave you an intro, but. I'm pretty sure that you can do it a little more justice. So if you can explain who you are.
1: Sure. Um, So I am an associate professor in the English department and the gender studies department at Miami University, not the one in Florida, the one in Ohio. And I teach classes on creative nonfiction writing and memoir. And I'm really interested in how people understand their lives and try to put their lives into story form for other people. And I'm especially interested in how uh, women and other marginalized people do that. I also teach courses in women's gender and sexuality studies and in American studies, as you said. Yeah, so I think a lot about gender and what being a woman means and how women are understood or misunderstood or represented or misrepresented in media.
0: Great, I I just wanted to make that clear for our audience knowing you for so long knowing the, the the person that you are and the and the causes that you undertake and feel so strongly about just for some clarity what exactly is feminist outreach and engagement
1: so that's a great question actually so i guess i'll start by defining what feminism is and defining it i guess is also defending it but feminism is simply the idea that all genders ought to be equal, and feminism attempts to combat sexism and misogyny and oppression of women. I think there's some misunderstandings of feminism that a lot of people have, that it's that it's man-hating or that it's trying to give women more power than men in society, and those aren't true. It's actually all about equality. And so what feminist outreach and engagement means to me is, first of all, I'm an educator, I'm a teacher, and so I'm always trying to teach people about feminism and about gender equality and why that's important. And even just to teach people the ways in which we're we're not equal in our society. I think a lot of people think that the United States is a really enlightened and equal country, but we're not in my opinion (laughs) so teaching people about that is part of outreach and engagement but i also do a lot of work in the community with with kids and with adults in particular around empowerment of girls in terms of media literacy and financial literacy and in terms of giving people the language and the sense of confidence to be able to tell their stories which I think is really important. So that, that's one thing that I do with teenagers in the Word Up program, which is part of Wordplay Cincy, which is a nonprofit organization. And unlike a lot of youth programs, it's not just about tutoring or teaching, being better at school. It's actually about empowerment. And so I think a lot about how to give teens the language to be able to do spoken word poetry or write articles for the newspaper or whatever form their story takes.
0: One of the things that you touched upon was uh, literacy. I, I think that's a very important aspect of equality across the board. Yes. Uh, and yes. you had mentioned your work with Word Up, Cincy. Uh, that's something I wanted to touch upon later, but I want you to kind okay. of discuss what, what you're doing with your students.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, I'm teaching a, a senior level uh, seminar called Truth and Lies Telling the Truth and Why It Matters. And I have both English majors and philosophy majors in that class. And so it's a really, really smart and interesting and diverse group of students. And we've been spending the semester talking about reading different forms of nonfiction that attempt to speak truth to power, thinking about how authors who write about their life experiences in a way that is meant to try to encourage greater understanding and equality or fight against oppression, how that actually works. And so, for example, we've read books by James Baldwin and ta Coates that are that touch upon some of the issues that are germane to the Black Lives Matter movement. And we've read a book by Maggie Nelson called The Argonauts, which is an argument for a greater and more expansive understanding of what gender is. This is a a woman who is in a relationship with a trans man. She has a lot of interesting things to say about what gender is and isn't. And her book is an argument for not thinking of gender as simply everyone is either a man or a woman, but there can be all kinds of other ways of thinking about gender too. And so a lot of what I do in terms of literacy with my college students is thinking about how authors use their life experiences to try to get readers to understand gender and race and sexuality in a more expansive way. Now with the high school kids that I work with, I do some similar things, but a lot of what I end up doing is talking about issues with them and encouraging them to read newspaper articles and things like that. So right now in Word Up, just last week, we were talking about the midterm elections and the Me Too movement. Um, and interestingly, it was the... The teens who brought up the Me Too movement, I didn't bring it up, they did. it. They have a lot of questions about what it is and why it's important and what harassment means. And so we're working on that right now. And I think it's really powerful When you can give people language that they didn't have before to name and describe experiences of inequality or discrimination, because if you don't have the language, then you might not even know that discrimination is happening. Right. But if you have the language to be able to name discrimination, then you can say this is harassment and it's not okay.
0: That's something that I always thought about myself with naming the the problem that society has. I yeah. r- i'm really glad you pointed that out. That's one thing being an African American male, we're all in that same category. But when you speak to those particular groups by themselves, be it you know black women, gay, you know they 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 have their unique struggle. But unfortunately, yeah. especially I find it in the black community as well. Where they'll say something akin to, you know, gays don't have the, the same types of struggles that black folk do, which is true. But at the same time, I feel is it's parallel in the, in the sense that gays weren't brought on a ship from another country and made slaves. But there's right. still that marginalization that exists. So I, I really feel your point about calling it out. But I, I think, too, one yeah. thing that I see, I guess to be a devil's advocate, when, when you do point it out, say, like, if I pointed out racism to someone that said something racist or did something racist in nature, you know, I would get the, the phrase thrown back to me. You know, you're a racist. And I, I think yeah. with being you being a feminist, when you call that out, you know, you're, you're getting thrown back, you know, you're being mm-hmm. a man hater. And how do you combat that?
1: That's a great question and it's a really difficult problem because, of course, I can't go around splaining everyone. Only certain <laughs> people are willing to listen, right? So, I mean, my students are a captive audience. They have to listen to me. But my mm-hmm. friends don't have to listen to me. My family doesn't have to listen to me. And certainly there are people who aren't ready to hear it. But I do think that, I do think that one way in which oppression or discrimination works is precisely what you're describing where the person who identifies discrimination in action and calls it out is then the then becomes the problem is constructed as the problem by the person who has done the discriminatory thing mm-hmm. so instead of the racist being the problem it's now the person who identifies or calls out the racism that is the problem and so I actually teach that dynamic to my students. So when I'm teaching, I show them that that is in itself a further form of discrimination, that, you, that if you turn around on someone who has called you out for problematic comments or behavior and call that person a, dis- a problem, then that is a further form of discrimination. And we can see that in action with feminism too, uh, I don't know how closely you followed the the Brett Kavanaugh um, hearings and Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's testimony. So one mm-hmm. thing that happened in that hearing was something that always happens or very often happens to women who speak in the public sphere about being harmed. Mm-hmm. And that is that they get that the first of all, the person being accused gets angry at them. And we mm-hmm. saw that Brett Kavanaugh's um, anger. And then a lot of people start to worry about the fairness of her accusation and start to cast doubt and blame on her for wanting to tell the story rather than being concerned about him and his behavior. There's a philosopher named Kate Mann who I like her work a lot. She has a concept for what I'm describing and the concept is empathy instead of empathy. So instead of the E-M in front of the pathy, you have H-I-M. And empathy is what happens when people overly sympathize with someone who's accused of discrimination or harassment or violence instead of having empathy for the person who has said, I've been harmed. I like that word a lot because it names a really problematic way that we fail to listen to people who have experienced discrimination or violence. So if we're concerned about challenging a culture that gives rise to someone like Brett Kavanaugh and gives him a pass, then I think we really have to examine that. But in my conversations with individual people one-on-one, I will also just say it's not actually sexist, or it's not actually man-hating to say, I am not equal to men in this society. And I'll correct the impression that feminism is about man-hating by showing that it's actually against sexism and not against men. I actually think the man-hating label or the, the reverse racism label, those are used by people who not only fundamentally don't understand the issues, but are also just anti-feminist and are determined to be bigots in their lives. And what to do about them, I don't know.
0: I think, too, it's just more of the, the, the more primal effect where people don't want to be wrong. You know, you point out something that's that's not right, and the person that's not doing it, or the person that's supporting it, feels offended. They're on the wrong side of something, and right. especially something as big as this. When you talk about the the Kavanaugh hearing, when when you talk about being on the wrong side of something, you know, that's that's something when presented to somebody that's pretty daunting. Knowing that that you yeah. may be on the wrong side of something that tends to you know make you lash out in certain particular ways. I think you have that, and and to your point as well I, I, there's a quote by Colin Kaepernick that i i, I love so much where yeah. it's you know racism is so ingrained in america that when people are protesting that they think that you're protesting america yeah. and, and i think that's the same with, yeah. with sexism as well where yeah. you know you people who are against that people who who lash out at you think that you're you're going to get something, something much grander than what you're actually you're protesting about. I think that's spot on as well. When people say that you're man-hating, but all you're doing is pointing out sexism, and that's with I, I know with Afri- other African Americans that I know, you know, prominent and my friends that, you know, they're not, you know, they're not hating white people. They're they're hating racism, and that's great. Yeah, so th- I think that that's 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 very huge. You I know, love the,
1: that Colin, that that Colin Kaepernick quote. By the way.
0: That's a great quote. That's spot on. I mean, because it, it is, you know, I mean, when you, when you think about the, the protest in general, what he was doing, you know, because at first he, he sat down. I mean, if, you, if, if yeah. you're familiar with that protest, he had sat down originally until he was advised by a, a person who was, a, I believe, a, a Green Beret. And mm-hmm. he had said that, you know, if you really want to protest, you should kneel. Because okay. that's, that's more of a, in the remembrance of the people who have died in the name of social injustice. And that's why that's why you kneeled in the first place. I, I mean, to me, it's simple. But for other folks, yeah. it's, you, you know, you're disrespecting the flag, you dis- disrespect right. the military. And, and that's, you know.
1: I mean, I really think protest is patriotic. And I think we should I think we should encourage people to protest in the name of patriotism.
0: Mm-hmm. To me,
1: it's so American to protest.
0: And it's easy to see the 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 majority minority aspect of it. Yeah, you know, I, I had a friend many years ago joke with me that the easiest thing about a gender a gender war and a race war is that you know what side you're on. And the, the, the sad thing about that is I think that's what the appeal to all of this is for those who don't agree with your particular line of thinking is yeah. i mean number one it's easy because you know i'm a man white i'm black there there's right. my there's my line in the sand and you know taking every stereotype good and bad and 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 owning that and, you know i i've been guilty of that you know a few times myself but i mean i think the the harder thing is to understand the nuances and yeah. In, in for, forming an opinion from from that sense, I think that's that's the hard part, and, and unfortunately, I don't think many people would want to take that road, and and that's and to me that's that's sad, and that's kind of why you know why why you know I wanted to talk with with people like you and and kind of mm-hmm. get, get that take, and and from my time knowing you, you articulate those those positions very well, and and something and break it down pretty easy for for guys like me. And I, I know you do it for your students as well. It, it, one thing I wanted to talk about to Dr. Cabalga is your, your work with Word Up, Cincy. When you started that, I was very intri- uh, intrigued with that because I had wished there was something like that in my neck of the woods uh, where I could yeah. uh, cont- contribute my time to, to um, high school students um, and, and let them know the joys of literacy, you know, that's something that I feel that saved my life there's many things that saved my life i think my love for for reading and writing was one of them and I, yeah. i'm and i'm happy that one of my friends has used her talents to to do that as well um could you talk about more about that
1: sure so the so i run a, a teen empowerment program called word up and it's actually part of an organization called wordplay cincinnati and word up is we meet once a week and every year we have a theme this year the theme is pen to power exclamation point <laughs> and um and so it's it's about speaking truth to power but a lot of the kids who are in word up don't write the sorts of academic essays that um, that I teach to my college students. So it's really fun to work with them. What we focus on instead is creative writing and writing for social change. And so a lot of these kids are also in spoken word competitions and I've seen them perform and they're really amazing. So spoken word is sort of like it's like competitive poetry. So it's kind of like the sport of poetry, instead of playing football or baseball, people are competing through poetry performance and they go on stage and they speak, or it's called spitting in the spoken word community. They, they, yeah, Yeah, spitting. Mm -hmm. Uh, They perform their, their original poetry for an audience and their performance can include not just reading the, the poem, uh, which they don't actually read because they're memorized, but also performing it. So it can include acting it out and a lot of thought into how the words are spoken and the emotion behind them and what they're doing with their faces. And so we do a lot of writing that is like that or we do writing that is about a memory that they had from when they were younger in which they learned something about themselves or something about the world and what i think is really powerful about that is like i said before it gives them language to be able to describe and name experiences that that they've had and it also ideally at least this is my hope It gives them the confidence to be able to share their stories and their writing and their poetry with the world in whatever form they choose to do that. And sometimes for my wordplay kids, that takes the form of spoken word poetry. Sometimes it takes the form of a letter to a newspaper editor about. I had a student last year who wrote about how Ohio felons should be allowed to vote. And, you know, issues that are important to them or that they want to learn a little bit more about. And I try to let them take the lead on a lot of the things that we talk about, because I think it's important if you're attempting to give young people confidence and empower them, I think it's important to check in with them and see what do you want to learn, what's important to you what do what issues do you want to talk about or what do you want to say and not to dictate that myself
0: to your point of what you're hoping what you could accomplish with these children i can speak for the times when i've been on the other side of that as you know someone who mentored me and expressing myself and you know in high school or even in you know when i was in toastmasters international i, I think the confidence from that and speaking to an audience about anything, instills a lot of a, a lot of a lot of excitement for one, and wanting to take that to whatever level that you can. So I think that your your work with these children could really help in, in, in that particular sense. I think those are the types of things that kids need, especially you know inner city. You know they you know if they don't have the extracurricular activities to partake in, you know they'll, they'll be doing other things and. And which will lead to much graver consequences. So, I mean, I I do, I do applaud your work in that, you know, I was really happy to see that you're doing something like that. And, you know, I wish there was something like that in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, the Canton area, the Canton and Stark County area where, where I live, you know, but, um, you know, maybe, you know, if you
1: ever want to start one, you should, you should talk to me. I can put you in touch with the executive director at Wordplay.
0: OK, yeah, yeah be, that's something that'll be something that I'll, I'll definitely like to, to look into in the future, because that's that's something that's that I think that would be really fun. I, I know other people around me who feel the particularly same way that we yeah. could do something like that in that regard. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on just being a feminist in the age of our current president, uh, Donald Trump. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that it's been a real learning experience for me being a feminist and an outspoken feminist in the age of President Trump, because it's challenged me to really recognize the extent to which the issues that I care about are either not recognized by some other people or are even excused or made to seem okay. And okay,
0: so- I just... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, That's no. Fine. I just kind of wanted. To, I kind of wanted to set the stage for our audience. You know, just okay. you being a friend before okay. the election, the day before the election. Dr. Cabalga and I were texting each other, and it was. I think I believe it was a group tra- a group text with a, with another friend of ours, and we were just celebrating before the before the touchdown was scored about how you know Hillary Clinton was going to win and it would be so great to have a woman president and to have that whole dynamic and to see how the world will change for the better, generally, how we were speaking, just kind of how, you know, the, you know we had President Barack Obama for eight years. We're about to have a woman president for four years. Things are going to really go into overdrive when it comes to the progressive change in this country. And then, you know, Tuesday night happened. So that was kind of, for me, yeah. that was a blow. When you just described that and just kind of the sense of how people don't feel the way that, that we do and just kind of that whole challenge. So I'll let you continue, but I just kind of wanted to set yeah. the stage in that, and just that's sort of how I felt like a punch in the gut. So
1: I definitely felt that way too. In fact, my friends and I were having a party that night, which included HRC party favors and hats, mm-hmm. and Katy Perry dance music, and <laughs> like uh, like the works. And we were mm-hmm. all so sure that. Hillary Clinton was going to win. And that party ended in the most depressing fashion I've ever, I mean, I've never been to a sadder party. By the end, everyone was in tears. We were all just like looking at each other dumbfounded. So I think for a lot of the women that I know, one of the reasons that his election was such a blow was not just that he won the Electoral College, and defeated Hillary Clinton, who would have been the first woman president in the Electoral College. I'll, I'll note that she did win the popular vote, too, because right. I like to remind myself of that. I'm a fan of Hillary Clinton, and I was excited, it just in general, to have a woman president. But th- I think the other thing is that President Trump, even before he took office, even as candidate Trump, he was so open and blatant about his misogyny and about his own harassment of women mm-hmm. that to hear him say things like, you can do anything you want to women and you know you can grab them and whatever, and then for people to elect him after that anyway and not to find that to be a real problem was something that felt to me and to a lot of the women that I know very, very hurtful. People who voted for for Trump must not care about women who are treated in that way. And in fact, maybe they even celebrate it when women are mistreated. And so that was really hard for me and a lot of the women that I know to come to terms with. The the blatant nature of his sexism, that he doesn't try to hide it, he doesn't try to be polite about it in the way that I think a a lot of people who have a sense that it's wrong might still engage in it, but they'll be polite about it. He doesn't try to do that. He's just so overtly sexist. And to hear him being cheered for that And to hear him rallies, even after he was elected and even still into this year, chanting Mm -hmm. lock her up and stuff like that, and to see or to hear the joy with which people join him in shouting that as someone who cares about gender equality and the way that women are treated both individually and as a class, that's been really difficult for me. Now, one thing that I will say that is positive, that is a silver lining on all of this, um, if we want to call it that, is that I do think that Trump's election and the blatant nature of his bigotry, not just against women, but against immigrants, people of color, particularly black journalists, the blatant way in which he engages in discrimination has brought a lot of people into politics and into activism that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And I think that's a positive thing. So the Women's March, what in January 2017, was the first sort of sign that things were going to be taking that direction. But then the March on Our Lives and the second Women's March and the March in Solidarity of Immigrants and to free immigrant children from cages and the Me Too movement, arguably, even though I know that Tamara Burke actually invented it years before trump was elected but Mm -hmm. it had a sort of resurgence after his election i think all of that is a result of trump being elected so i think that is a positive thing i think the more people who participate in politics and in activism the better Uh, and the more voices that we have participating in the public sphere even if it's in anger and outrage I think the more people participating, the better. My father protested with me for the first time after Trump was elected. Awesome. And I I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't, if he weren't horrified by the Mm -hmm. political situation, so yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and actually for the first time ever with the midterms, you know, it was, it was 49%, but, you know, nearly half of the, the voting electric, electric got up, Yeah, you know, so yeah. that's, that's good. <laughs> that's yeah, good. That's, and
1: we got a lot of, we got a lot of women and people of color and queer people, um, elected, especially to the house.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think that's good too, because like you said, the more people, who are involved in politics, who are part of, mar- who have marginalized identities or are part of a marginalized population, the more democratic our country will be because we're not just being ruled by an elite class of white men.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we could at least uh, bring a little bit of light of sunshine to this particular yeah. topic.
1: <laughs> I, I definitely oh. think there's hope. There's definitely hope.
0: Well, yeah. Dr. Kovalga, you know, number one, I want to thank you for, for coming on to the podcast and, and helping You're me welcome. out, helping me out in episode three, before we leave, I, I just kind of wanted to take this opportunity for you at least to promote anything that you have upon the horizon.
1: Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have a book coming out next year. Um, it should be out in December, 2019. It's with the university of Massachusetts press, mm-hmm. um, And the title is Campuses of Consent. And it's about the higher education environment. So um, it's not about the political situation as a whole, Mm -hmm. but it is about college campuses and how college campuses can do better when it comes to issues of sexual harassment and discrimination and violence that happen on campuses. So I hope that people check it out when it comes out. Mostly the book honestly came about as a response to things that I saw happening at my own institution, Miami Mm -hmm. University, Mm -hmm. that bothered me. Yes, (laughs) that bothered me. So I started writing the book really in order to try to understand what the problem was at my own institution. It became part of a larger study and a larger critique. Of the way that college campuses in general, not just mine, but um, many around the country have become very uh, sort of corporate minded Mm -hmm. and have been encouraged, I think, including by some federal laws to understand their role as kind of a PR sort of role, a public relations sort of role. Let me get more specific for a second. One thing that bothered me about the way that Miami University addresses issues of gender inequality on campus is that they are always concerned about their appearance to the public and about making sure that they don't get sued now those are two concerns that are often at odds with a concern for actual justice right Mm -hmm. so if you're concerned about justice when it comes to inequality of any kind on a college campus including discrimination or harassment or violence then what you do is you work to make the culture more equal you work to hold people accountable for um the things that they say and do that are discriminatory and you work to support the people who have been harmed by the inequality but with its corporate mindset many modern universities don't do that what they do instead is they panic and they worry that if there is a charge of discrimination or of violence that they will be um, judged by the public as not a good place for uh, for someone to send their kid. So they rush to manage their image with the public. And they do things that that I think are meant sometimes to limit their liability and to keep their public image intact rather than support the people who have so they so they minimize the problem first of mm-hmm. all. They say, well, actually we're a very progressive and equal institution uh and this is just a an aberration, right? This doesn't happen often. But that's not true. Um things happen on college campuses all the time regularly, systematically that are Unequal in terms of gender. And so for women college students who experience harassment, discrimination, violence, other forms of inequality or harm, it's actually harder for them to finish their degree. It's harder for them to learn if they're in that kind of environment. So the book is an argument that we ought to pay more attention to supporting them and fostering their education and less attention to the sort of corporate mindset of limiting liability and keeping the public image intact.
0: Well, um, Dr. Teresa Cabolga, I would like to thank you once again for being a guest on Friends and Experts. Thank you for taking out time of your busy schedule to Talk to a guy like me okay.
1: um, sir. <laughs> um, thank you for having me on
0: Thank you for your time And thank you everyone for listening to Friends and Experts Episode 3 If you would like to support this podcast Please feel free to share this podcast And download this podcast Where podcasts are Uploaded from <laughs> So, um, um, Thank you very much Dr. Cabalga And thank you everyone For listening Have a great day